This week was Vacation Bible School. We had almost 1,000 children registered. 44 of them, 44 of them invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. How about that? If you were a volunteer this week, if you served in any capacity, thank you, thank you, thank you. This wouldn't have happened without you. You were a missionary to Midland this week, and we are deeply grateful for your service to the Lord and to this church. We thank you for letting the Lord use you this week. On a related note, I wonder if I could ask a favor of you. I know that this construction has created quite a uh, challenge, shall we say, getting in and out of our building. May I ask a favor of you if you park over on our, our west side, would you walk around the construction zone instead of through it? We are concerned uh, about the open pits that they leave, and I understand why they're leaving them, and God bless those guys. I wouldn't want their job, and you probably don't either. But let's work with them at that point. And so would you just help me out by walking around the construction zone instead of walking through it. You know, in Revelation chapter 10 that my friend Keith read for us a little while ago, we find a change in tone. It's a little like the movie Star Wars. How many of you have seen the, one of the Star Wars movies? When the, mu when the music rises up with that awful imperial theme, you know, you know something bad is about to happen. You know that Darth Vader or Kylo Ren or Darth Maul, they're waiting just around the corner to sneak up and get somebody. Likewise, if the music changes and it swells and it sounds grand and glorious and it sounds beautiful and it sounds light and airy, then you know Luke Skywalker or Ray or, or Finn or Poe or one of the good guys is waiting just around the corner. They're waiting to come and save the day. Music is like that, and friends, so is the book of Revelation. When we get to chapter 10, we are at the halfway point of the tribulation. Thus, the tone of the music changes. It doesn't mean it gets any worse. It doesn't mean it gets any better. It just changes. And so when we get to chapter 10, we've just had some of the trumpet judgments, and we still have one yet to come. We still have the bold judgments, and the angel and, and, and the beast is still yet ahead. But today, we want to talk about this mighty angel and the little scroll. That's what Keith read to you a minute ago. As we do so, let us pause for a moment because there's a lot, of, a lot of dark alleys to walk down in this chapter. Instead of getting distracted, how about we go to the author before we begin and ask for him to enlighten us. Pray with me, won't you? So, Jesus, today we have gathered to hear from you. We've already encountered you in music. We've spoken to you in prayer. And now, Lord Jesus, we are engaging in your word. Would you use this time, Jesus, to awaken within us who you've called us to be? Would you free us, Lord Jesus, to understand that your word is meant to be understood, that you would speak with your Holy Spirit power into each of our lives, and let this day, Jesus, be one where we respond to you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much for your prayers. Let's start right here. As we begin chapter 10, the appearance of the mighty angel 
is on the horizon. Hear it again. I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand. Let's just dig right in right here, because this description is unlike most of the other angels that we've seen. One thing, it's deeper. We don't often get many physical descriptors about who the angel is or what they look like. Two, we get really specific ones that connect with other imagery from elsewhere in the Bible. Let's just start here with a declaration. With this description akin to that of Jesus Christ, this angel appears. We'll circle back to that at the end. Let's just pause right now and talk about what it says in verse 1. He's wrapped in a cloud. The language is like he's put on a coat of cloud. And you might say, well, how, how is that possible? I don't know, but the Bible says he did it, so I'm going to say that he did it. He wrapped himself in a cloud. Now, let's be clear. When we see clouds in the Old Testament, we often see God depicted as in those clouds. God led the people through the desert with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 16 talks about that. Dark clouds covered over Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 when God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments. The Shekinah glory cloud was over the tabernacle and later over the temple as a physical representation of a spiritual reality that God was present in that moment. The clouds received Jesus into heaven in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1. And according to 1 Thessalonians 4, when Jesus returns, he will come through the clouds. Oh, friends, he's wrapped in a cloud. You with me on this? Because when we see him wrapped in a cloud, we understand this is no normal thing. And as if we didn't get it the first time, he comes right behind it with another descriptor. He has a rainbow over his head. Now, immediately, when we put the word rainbow down, it's easy for us to get distracted. We live in a culture that has taken the rainbow and substituted the meaning. Can I tell you, my friends, we love everyone. There is nobody we're angry at except Satan. And let me tell you why we're mad at him. Everything good God does, Satan wants to counterfeit. I had a friend that worked in the Secret Service. He was a really great guy. I enjoyed being with him. Here's what he told me. Remember, Secret Service, part of their job is forgeries. He said, Darren, when they were training us forgeries to, to, to catch forgeries, they didn't teach us with fakes. They taught us every nook and cranny, every nuance, every dark alley of the real thing so that when we saw a fake, we would know it's not the real thing. Today, I want to tell you, this rainbow is the real thing. This rainbow is the symbol of God's covenant between himself and humanity. This rainbow is a marker of a permanent relationship that he has through his own promise. While some have hijacked it to mean something else, that doesn't diminish the fact that the rainbow belongs to God. It is his ring for our finger. Friends, 
Rejoice with me today that this rainbow means that he, he in all of his sovereignty and in the fulfillment of all of his promises is coming to bring all of that promises to bear. Here's a third description. His face is like the sun. It corresponds to what is said in Revelation 1 and in the Gospels about when Jesus is transfigured. He has a voice like a lion corresponds to how we understand Jesus in Revelation 5, verse 5. You know, my friend Joel Gregory was here a few weeks ago. I wish I had a voice like he does, that deep, resonating Charlton Heston voice. Had supper with him on Monday night while I was down in Waco, and, you know, I teased him a little bit about it. Because the truth is, I wish I had a voice like that. Well, you know what? As good as his voice is, it isn't anything like the voice of the lion that our friend John hears. And at the end of verse 1, his legs are pillars of fire. I mentioned this a moment ago. Exodus 16 talks about this. In the Old Testament, when we see a pillar of fire, it is a marker of not only God's direction, this is the way to go, but also his protection, his provision for his people. Can I tell you today, my friends, put all these things together, and we have an mighty angel indeed this mighty angel he comes holding a scroll holding a scroll and poised for action now we don't talk much about scrolls because we don't use them like we did scrolls were double-ended documents that would roll together or as we say it scroll so it worked a lot like the phone that you have that you use so much. When you're moving the screen up and down, what do you call it? Scrolling. This is the scroll that he has. It's a little one. Now, how little? I don't know. It just says it's small. And what it says is that he came with this little scroll. But before we get to that scroll, I want you to see something that's hiding right in plain sight. See it there in verse 2 at the end of it. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Pay attention to the little words in the Bible, especially sometimes prepositions. The left foot on the land, that we expect. But see that right foot. It doesn't say in the sea, it says on the sea. Now, those of you who have swimming pools, when was the last time you walked across it? Uh, never. Exactly. So when we see this angel not standing in the water, but on it, it ought to get our attention. He's standing ready. And as he stands ready, we recognize this is a conquering pose. He's ready to sweep in. He's ready to stand supremely over his enemies and overwhelm them. Where we pick up, this is the middle of the tribulation. And whether you believe in a pre-tribulation return of Christ or a post-tribulation return of Christ, this point all of us can agree on, this moment. With a mighty angel standing ready, he stands with a small scroll in his hand. Now, we don't know what that scroll said. And it's a great detriment to us in some respects. 
What we do know is that what John heard, he thought significant enough to write down. And yet, the mighty angel speaks to him directly and says, seal it, don't write it down. Now, we might be bothered by that. Can I just pause and put a personal word in here and say, I'm bothered by that. The Western thinker in me says, but I want to know everything. Leave out nothing. I want the full experience. Hit me with everything. There are times when the prophecy is cloaked from our eyes for reasons that only God can explain. There are times when I have to limit myself and recognize my own limitations and assign instead all sovereignty, strength, wisdom, and authority to the God who stands over me. Friends, today, if it bothers you that you don't know what was on that little scroll, if it bothers you that the mighty angel said, seal it up and don't write it down, if it bothers you, then understand you're in good company. Daniel chapter 8, in the midst of a prophecy that we are not done with yet, Daniel writes in verse 27 of chapter 8, I was appalled by my vision and I did not understand it. So one of the greatest prophets we've ever had admits plainly, I didn't get it. But I know it came from God. So I'm going to trust him with it. What does it mean? It means this. When I come upon one of these things that I don't understand or that I don't have enough information to suit me, I have a choice to make. Whose book is this? Mine or the master of the universe? Oh, friends, it's his. And so when I come to these places, I'm going to do one thing and one thing only. I'm going to turn to Jesus and say, I trust you, sovereign Jesus. Even if I don't understand, I trust you. Because we might know what, not know what was on that scroll, but he does. And it's he who has to fulfill it, not us. This is where we get frustrated because a lot of people, I've heard some really great talks about this, what was on the scroll, and what they want to say is, well, you know, there might have been something there where we could incite Jesus' return. We could hurry it along. Wouldn't that be great if we could? I want to tell you, though, friends, Jesus told us exactly what we needed to know. And apparently this wasn't among it. So before you get all strung out on what was in that scroll, I want you to see the mighty angel has a declaration. And it's one that's clear to John, and it's one that he will address specifically. The angel, see it in verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what's in it, the earth and what's in it, the sea, what's in it, there would be no more delay, but that in that days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Verses 5, 6, and 7 depict an angel swearing an oath. Raised his right hand. That's the same thing that's asked of us when we go to testify in a courtroom. We're asked to raise our right hand and swear out an oath that we will tell the truth no matter what, so help us God. We might think it weird that an angel is required to swear an oath. After all, they can't lie, can they? Thus, I want to pose a question to you. How serious must something be for an angel to feel compelled to swear out an oath? <laughs> 
We're not quite sure, but we know this. It's not the first time that God has taken an oath with his people. In Genesis 12 and repeated in Hebrews 6, God made a covenant with Abraham. He swore and promised the stars in the heavens will be not enough to number the descendants you will have, Abraham. When God declared Jesus to be his high priest, we see it recorded in Hebrews 7. It is God swearing an oath not only to Jesus, but to us as well, those of us who are his, his co-heirs, that Jesus will forever and always be our priest, linking our arms with his. He took an oath with David back in 1 Kings, right at, the tail, uh, right at the front end of it, and then again with Solomon, his son, that the Christ, the Messiah, would come from his family. This oath is still binding today. Okay, Darren, I get it. So he's taking an oath. But what does the oath say? Get this. No more delay. No more delay. The time of judgment has finally come. This moment, this moment when it comes to pass, is when everything will be finally made clear, the mystery solved and every question answered in its most complete terms, just like the prophets said it would. No more delay. What it means is that the return of Christ is just around the corner. Uh, this is where I want to pause and remind you of the twofold nature of the book of Revelation's purpose. Why did God give us Revelation? It is a word of warning to those who are outside of Christ that this moment in time will not last forever, that there is a change coming. Prepare accordingly. That's one purpose. The other purpose is over here. It's a word of encouragement to those who are standing in Christ who are worried who are fretful that this is all there is, that there is no, no hope for a better future, that things will not always be as they are. Plan accordingly. So when we see there's no more delay, it, we are driven to these two camps right away. We're either in this one or we're in this one. There's no middle ground. Either we're worried about Jesus' return because it means the end of everything we, we've hoped for, or we are excited about Jesus' return, looking forward to it. There's no middle ground. The angel's oath is there will be no more delay. In this moment in time, means that things are about to change. The music is shifting. The angel has a declaration to go with that. You see it in verse 9. So I went to the angel and he told me to take the little scroll and he said to me, take it and eat it. Now then, let's pause here for a moment and let me ask you a question. Have you ever, when you were in elementary school, I hope it's not since then, written a note to one of your friends and passed it to your friend only to have it intercepted by the teacher. And what did you do? Well, if you were me, you snatched it out of the teacher's hands and you ate it to ensure that message would go no further. Did I mention I'm ADHD? It's a blessing, people, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. 
One of the things that causes my mind to flow this way is the instructions of the angel, take this scroll and eat it. I don't know of another time elsewhere in the New Testament where one of the prophets, one of the apostles is challenged to ingest the word of God. Now we have it in Ezekiel, we have it in Jeremiah, but there is no other parallel to it in the New Testament. Rejoice with me today, my friends, that the word of God is good for food. It comes with a warning. It'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it'll be sweet as honey. There, I've read some tongue-in-cheek interpretations of what the scroll might have consisted of. Perhaps, one writer wrote, it was pastry laid flat and written with chocolate ink. Perhaps, just maybe, it was apple pie crust laid out flat with the filling just about to lay on it. We don't know, but we do know this. Our friend John does what he's told. He takes it and he eats it. Now let's pause here and say God's word is compared to food throughout Scripture. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls it bread. In 1 Peter 1, the apostle calls it milk. In 1 Corinthians 3, the apostle calls it meat. In Psalm chapter 119, the writer calls it honey. The prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel knew what it was to eat the word of God. And Jesus declared that he himself would become flesh, be given to those who needed to eat of him. Let me be clear, my friends. This idea of God's word being ingested is not a new one. Rather, it is an old one, and it is one that we would do well to take heart in as well. When I take something, no matter what it is, and I eat it, it becomes a part of me. Our nutritionist and dietitian friends will tell us we are what we eat. And so they encourage us to leave aside all of God's richest blessings like Dr. Pepper and chocolate cake, French fries, and all those wonderful things that we taste so good. It's the old, if it tastes good, you can't have it diet. But friends, I want to tell you today, the word of God is not meant to be eaten in the same way those are, but it is meant to be ingested. One of the biggest problems we have in modern Christianity and modern United States and our world today is that a lot of people want to bring their presuppositions to the word of God and have the word of God confirm them. The reality is it has to work the other way. God speaks through his word to our presuppositions and then the presuppositions are supposed to change because God's word will not. So how will I know the difference between what I think and what God thinks? Well, here's how you'll know. By ingesting the word of God. By giving it root and room in your life. One of the things that we must do if we're ever going to find the discipleship that God means for us to have, if we're ever going to be as sanctified as God longs for us to be, We've got to let the Word of God be more a part of us than just letting our eyes run over the page. It has to sink deep within. It has to soak into our soul and marinate to the lowest parts. It has to cover over all of the other parts, so much so that it shoves out the other things. See, our brains are a lot like our bodies. 
what we put into them is what we will get back. If we are filling our mind with God's word, then we shouldn't be surprised when we are led by the Spirit in directions that are not necessarily in keeping with everybody else. Likewise, if we fill our mind with other things besides God's words, we shouldn't be surprised when we are conflicted by the word of God that doesn't change. Friends, today, I want to encourage you, let the word of God have room in your life to move you from where you are to where he wants you to be. Oh, that's not necessarily easy, but it is necessary. It is necessary for the message of God is not simply to please the listeners, it's to sanctify them. And that's the message that is given here. It may taste sweet in your mouth. It may make your stomach bitter. But you know what? When you have a bitter stomach, when anything is wrong physically, there's a, an, a turn, an inward turn that says, let's manage what we can. Let's take care of this part right now. And let's shut out distractions. That's why verse 11 is what it is, I believe. I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. John, this is the hour for which you were made. So take this message, declare it, and let this be something that guides you forward too, John. Ingesting the word of God. Somebody came up to me at the end of the first service and said, so are you asking us to Take pages from our Bible and chew them up. If necessary, yes. But more to the point, let it soak into your soul. See, putting it into your mouth and through the digestive channel, that may or may not serve any purpose. But letting it soak into your soul, it certainly will. One final key question, and with this we'll close. This mighty angel that we've been talking about throughout chapter 10 is this mighty angel, Jesus himself. Friends, the short answer is probably so. Although we don't see him named, he never identifies himself. And many times the angels do. Earlier we met Michael. Later we'll see Gabriel. These elements aren't in this chapter we don't see him identify himself but go back to the beginning of chapter one that section we started with and you will see that the features the qualities that are stacked there are such that they indicate yes yes this is jesus himself it's not uncommon for jesus to appear in the old testament as an angel of the lord we see it in Exodus, in Judges, several places. In 2 Samuel, we see it in the, the, the book of Daniel with the three children in the, in the fiery furnace and with Daniel in the lion's den. We see it in the prophets. We see it in the, 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 the temple. We see it when they, are com when they come back from the exile. We see it in the, the, the closing days of the Old Testament. Yes, friends, Jesus did appear as an angel of the Lord. In each of these Old Testament instances, Jesus' manifestation was a temporary expression, not a permanent one. That's why, that's why this moment 
leaves us with a question that quite frankly we can't answer we can't say conclusively yes or no but in the end it doesn't really matter because this much we know whether that angel is jesus or is not jesus's authority is in full control and we friends are under that same authority now 2000 years later I want you to rejoice with me in that, friends. I want you to rejoice with me because we are on this side over here, at least I hope all of us are. We're on this side that's receiving this as a word of encouragement going, go Jesus, yes sir, bring all these things into right standing. But I have to believe there's somebody that's over on this side receiving this as a word of warning and hearing this going, oh no, you mean Jesus is real? Jesus really is going to make all things right? He's going to bring all things under his authority and under his power? Maybe you'd like to move from this camp to this one. Here's how you can do it. Invite Jesus to be the Lord and master of your life. We had children that did it this week in this same space right here. We want to give you that same opportunity. If you would like to Claim Jesus as yours. Invite him into your life and move from the camp of warning to the camp of encouragement, then today is your day. At the close of the service, you come right outside these doors and find me. I'll be waiting for you, praying, hoping, longing for someone to come and say yes. Yes, Darren, you were talking to me. I don't want to be in that camp of warning anymore. I want it to be good news. Come talk to me about how you can invite Jesus to be the Lord and master of your life. Maybe, maybe you've already done that, but you've never taken the first step of Christian obedience by being baptized. Baptism is a confessional thing. It means you're publicly identifying with Christ. That's why we call it the first step of Christian obedience. It means that you've decided this, not someone else deciding for you. And like Jesus in the River Jordan, you submit to it in order that you might find the first step of Christian obedience. Maybe you need to get that taken care of. Come talk to me about that. Maybe you're not in favor of doing it the way we normally do it. I got good news for you. July 31st, you guys are some of the first ones to hear about it. July 31st at Doug Russell Pool, we're having a baptism night. We're calling it First Step Day. We're focusing on baptism for that day and inviting anybody and everybody who needs to get that taken care of to be a part of it. Did you know we have more than 80 people on our church rolls who have come forward for faith in Christ but have never been baptized? We're going to help them get that next step, I hope. And maybe you're one of them. Come talk to me about how you can take that first step of Christian obedience. See, it's real hard to take the ones after that if you never take the first one. So let today be the day you say, Jesus, I want to do that. Maybe you're watching on television and you say, hey, I want in on that, Darren. Then here's what I want you to do. Whether it's inviting Christ into your life or being baptized or whatever the Lord might have for you, pick up your phone and text the name Jesus to 315-0092. Today is your day. This is the day that we believe God has given each of us to make a decision. So what will you do with it? Perhaps you need to be a part of our church family. Come talk to me about that. First Baptist Church would be delighted to have you share 
your journey with us. And praise the Lord, he's put us together. This day is the one that God has given us. He's not promised us another one and not all of this one. So let's use this one well. Pray with me, won't you? So Jesus, today we receive your word with joy, with gratitude. We ask, Jesus, that you would remind us it's not about us. It's about you. If we were honest enough to confess it, Lord, we would say that too many times we've read Revelation with an idea that we need to understand everything. Let us change that, Lord, to we need to trust the one who does. So Jesus, today, I pray for those who need to make decisions, no matter what they are, that they would feel the freedom from your Holy Spirit to come find me or one of my staff, and that today would be the day of salvation, of deliverance, of freedom, and that today, Lord Jesus, you would do your work in their lives. My prayer also, Jesus, is for those who are struggling, who are hurting, fearful. It's easy to be that way right now, Jesus. Will you meet us right where we are? Thank you that we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to get it all right. You're not asking us to square everything. All you're asking for us to do is come. So, Jesus, we choose to do exactly that. Thank you, Lord, for the chance you've given us to share together today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.